Yeah, that's exciting. I love, I love to hear about that. The guy's getting ready to go back to where he grew up, and he's already got so many tools. And, man, I'm just excited to hear what God's going to do when you guys get down there, man. It's just, just thrilling to think about. There's a lot of pieces coming together, and just thrilling to think about what God's going to do in Mexico. And, man, what an exciting thing to be able to have part of something like that. Um, uh, let's turn to Philippians 2. And while you're turning there, I'd, I'd just like to say, I'd just like to thank the church. It's just been an awesome uh, week. Uh, we've, I can't believe it's Wednesday already. Um, I've been so hocked up on caffeine the whole time. I, you know, I didn't even realize uh, the time slipping by. We've just had just a great time. And Steph and I, we just like to say how much we appreciate. Um, just, just everything that's been done this week. Uh, they took Steph, some ladies from the church went shopping with Steph today, and I think the other missionary wives, and they just all had a great time. And for the food and for the fellowship, we, and we've been given gifts. We've been given gifts for, for Galilee, and so many of you have, have told us you're praying for us. And as we finish up our adoption process, we got a brand new stinking display out there, beautiful display. I didn't have that when I came here, but thanks to you all, I got it, and I sure appreciate that. And, and I've probably more than anything, I've just really enjoyed the fellowship. It's been great to meet so many of you, and I've learned so many names and forgotten probably more, and uh, I've just really been blessed. Um, I, I think, I think uh, that this church is, is, you got it. You got it. You really got something about missions. You, you, you get it. You, you get what we're doing here. And that's the most exciting thing for me. I just get to come be a cheerleader for a little bit and, and talk about how awesome it is to be in, involved in missions and just have a good time. I'm also excited tonight because Dean gave me some green drink that I'm drinking. I don't even know what it is. See, y'all just pumping stuff into me. I don't know what it is. You guys just say, I wonder what would happen if we gave him this. Mixing, mixing stuff up. So, so if uh, my head explodes or something while I'm preaching tonight, then you know, you know to blame Dean or to thank him. It depends on how it's going, right? Philippians chapter 2, I, I can't believe it's our last uh, time to gather around the Word together. I've, I've enjoyed uh, this part as much as, as much as anything. Selfishly, I, I, I just have a great time uh, sharing the Word, and, and uh, it's just a great thing to gather around people who love the Word and, to, and just to listen to what God has to say to us. Philippians chapter 2 some people have said that if the whole Bible were a mountain range, that Philippians 2 would be one of the tallest peaks. And I think that's about true. Man, what a chapter, right? It starts off in the beginning talking about, look at, verse, man, look at verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men. Just great truths about Jesus Christ becoming a man to pay the price for our sin. We're going to skip down a little bit further tonight, though, and we're going to pick up in verse number 12. Paul has just said these things about Jesus and who he is and the work that he's done. And in verse 12, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, so springboarding off of that, springboarding off of what we know about Jesus and what it is that he's done, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, 
in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Now, we're going to focus in real narrow tonight on verse number 17. Because verse 17 is kind of a peculiar verse. Paul says, If I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Now, when we read that verse, maybe we don't really get any special feeling. You know, we just kind of read down and we're kind of trying to get down to the end of the chapter because we've already got the highlights up there in the top of the chapter. But for the readers in Paul's day, okay, the original people, when, when the church at Philippi got this letter and, and, and opened it up and started reading, when they read verse 17, they would have had a real clear picture in their brain, okay? Now, you probably, probably didn't get a picture, and I know a lot of time I would read it, I never really got a picture, but the picture is of a priest. You see, it's got the word sacrifice in there, and it's got the word offer in there, and the word service in there. The picture that Paul is painting for them is of a priest offering up some sacrifices. Now, let me tell you this about, about the priesthood, about, uh, about the Bible as it talks about priests. You know, if you read the Old Testament, you read the book of Leviticus, I mean, there's some weird stuff in there, right? I love when we go to China because we get to China and we're telling them, listen, guys, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. It's about knowing him. It's not about, about all this external stuff. It's about an inside heart relationship that you know who God is and God knows who you are and you have a communication with him. And it, all this stuff is just external. It doesn't really matter. The important things that you know God. And then you flip over to Leviticus. And they come to you and say, okay, I, I got all that stuff you said. That stuff made sense. But now I'm looking at Leviticus and there's guys who are like, slaughtering animals and throwing their blood everywhere and they're dressed in crazy pajamas and what is going on here what does this have to do with what you said and sometimes we can almost be a little embarrassed of the old testament and we can be like yeah that was that time and uh you know this whole that was kind of like god hadn't really figured out what he wanted to do in the world yet so that was kind of that and then he got over that and said you know what let's just let's scrap that let's just let's get rid of that let's start all over again guys but when paul talks in verse 17 and mentions the priests. It's very interesting. Paul compares his ministry. Paul compares his ministry to the ministry of a priest. And so there's this strange, spectacular part of salvation drama in the Old Testament. And Paul says, how can I describe for you what my ministry is like? I mean, here's Paul, he's running to all these cities and preaching the gospel to all these people and starting all these churches and giving the gospel to people who have never heard it before. And Paul says, now let's see, how can I describe for you? How, how can I paint a picture for you so you will understand the significance of my ministry? He says, you remember those priest dudes from the Old Testament? Yeah, that's me. Now, now, why in the world would Paul go to this length to compare himself to a priest? But what we will see tonight is that this ministry of being a priest, it involves us, involves me, it involves you, it involves this mission that we're talking about tonight, that in a sense, we are the priesthood of God in this world. Now, we've got to talk about what that means. Okay, so first of all, we're going to look at three things tonight, the, the need of a priest, the work of a priest, and the heart of a priest. So first of all, let's talk about the need of a priest. What do you need a priest for? Well, you know what a priest is? A priest is kind of like a mediator, 
It's kind of like a go-between between you and God. It says you can't approach God directly, so you get this priest guy who's going to mediate between you and God, okay? Now, that's kind of strange right from the beginning because it implies what? What does it imply? That all is not right between God and man. That God and man are not exactly on speaking terms. That there's some enmity there. That God and man are not good. Like tonight if I said, um, Rich, uh, can, you tell, can you tell Ryan that, uh, that uh, I, you know what, I'm not going to be able to, to spend any time with him tomorrow. Now, what would Rich say? Well, he's right there. Why don't you tell him yourself? The fact that I came and found Rich and I'm asking him to pass the message along, what does that imply? That me and Ryan are not good that there's something going on between us. There's some enmity there. There's some strife there. There's a problem there. And so when when Paul says, I'm a priest, you know what he's saying? There's a problem between man and God. That all is not right between the world and God. That the world is at war with God. Now you say, that seems kind of like a stretch. To say the, I mean, sure, the world's got, we've got our problems as people, But to say that we are at war with God, let me tell you, that won't make any sense to you unless you see a couple things. First of all, you have to understand the sin of man. You have to understand just how sinful we are. See, we understand that we're we're not perfect, right? You readily get people to say, well, I'm not perfect. But I don't think we really understand in our brains just how sinful we look to God. Look at verse 15. Look how Paul describes the world. Paul says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. You know how Paul describes the world? He says this is a crooked world. It is tragically and epically broken. This world is broken. It doesn't work the way it was designed to work. Now, we may not realize that, but then a guy goes into a movie theater with a gun and shoots a bunch of people. And then what do we remember? Our, our world's broken. Our world's broken. Someone does something awful and heinous to another person, and we say, oh, yeah, our, our world's broken. But let me tell you this. We don't got to talk about no crazy serial killer. If somehow, by some horrible miracle, we were able to take the contents of my heart and just splatter them up there on that projector screen. Ain't nobody here want to be my friend. There's nobody here that want to have anything to do with me. Because the truth is, that brokenness, it extends to me. I'm part of that brokenness. I'm part of the darkness. I am part of the crooked and perverse nation. If you could see what was going on in my heart, you you would withdraw from me. You try to get away from me. Let me tell you, how much more a holy God, if you would want to get away from me, how much more a holy and a perfect God. Now secondly, so first you've got to understand just how sinful we actually are. But, but second of all, we have to understand just how holy he is. Okay, so you've got to see how dark and how broken and how crooked we are. But at the same time, you've got to see just how holy and how perfect and how righteous and how beautiful he is and how much it's impossible for the two of us to get together. Now, you know, we sing a lot of songs. We sing some very nice songs. Man, you guys, that's another thing. Man, you guys have just done fantastic this week. I've just really enjoyed the music. Um, but you know, sometimes we sing songs and we say, uh, uh, God, please come here. God, please meet with us. God, fill this place with your presence. We want to experience your presence. We want you to come. We want you here. Please come to our church, etc." But have you ever noticed in the Bible how that works for people when God actually shows up? 
it's traumatic. It's devastating. People fall apart. People come completely undone, and they fall on their face before God, and they can't handle the presence of the holy. Why is that? Because when a holy God appears before sinful man, something's got to give. And, if, and let me tell you something. If for one second, this dirty, pathetic sinner were to stand unshielded before the holy beam of God's righteousness, it would just burn me up like a military-grade laser. Like a laser just burning away uncleanness and filthiness and impurities. God's holiness would consume me where I stand if God's holiness were to shine upon us unshielded. Now let me tell you, that's why we need a priest. You know where a priest stands? Right in between. A priest dares to stand in the most dangerous place in the entire universe between sin and holiness, between man and God. Now let me tell you, oftentimes we talk about a very important doctrine. As Baptists, this has historically been a very important doctrine for us. We call it the priesthood of the believer, right? You guys familiar with the priesthood of the believer? Now, when we talk about the priesthood of the believer, generally what are we talking about? What we're talking about is if you want to approach God, you don't need to come to Jeff and say, hey, Jeff, could you uh, talk to God about this for me? No, you can't. You can ask Jeff to pray about something with you, but you don't need to go through him to get to God, right? If you want to talk to God, this is the crazy thing about living in the age that we live in. Hey, if you want to, live, you want to talk to God, you have a direct line of communication open to you by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have direct access to that holy God. So generally, when we talk about the priesthood of the believer, we are talking about this way, Godward. As a priest, I stand and I look at God. But you know what Paul's talking about here? He's talking about the other half of priesthood. That not only as a priest do I have a ministry to God, I have a ministry to man that my job is to stand between people. And that's what Paul is talking about here. That's why Paul says, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. So Paul's saying, I am doing this for you. I am standing here on your behalf. The final frontier in this world, the final frontier, the unbreachable frontier, is the holiness of God. Now we know that Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he was our great high priest. He was a great high priest. What does that mean? That Jesus was ultimately the one who stood between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And on the cross, the holiness of God, the justice of God shone upon him and he took the penalty for our sin. And because of him, now we have access to God through his high priestly ministry. But you remember the Old Testament? They had a high priest, right? And then they had a whole bunch of little joker priests. You know what we are? We're the little joker priests, okay? He's the high priest and then we got us little lowercase priests priests, lowercase p priests, okay? That's what we're doing. We are entering into his work on the earth of reconciling. The Bible says that Jesus came into the world to reconcile the sinful world to the holy God. And guess what we're doing here? The Bible says he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So my job in this world is to be a priest in China. I am to stand between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Now let me tell you what this means for us. This tells us how important our task is. Do you remember back in the Old Testament that when they first got priests, fresh out of the box, brand new thing? They got priests. And what was the name of the first priest? Aaron. And dude had four sons. And they were all going to be the, the little joker priests. Okay? And so they had this big thing, a seven-day-long uh, kind of ceremony of inauguration and consecration. And, you know, Israel's all excited. Hey, we got, we got these five priests now. They're going to serve for us. Five priests. 
seven-day kind of consecration, and then the eighth day was the day they're supposed to go to work. So this is the first day they clock in and actually do some priest stuff. The first day, day number one, two of them die. Two of them. The Bible says that Nadab and Abihu, they took some strange fire before the Lord, and the holiness of God, that laser beam, broke out upon them and consumed them. And I read that, I'm like, God, what are you doing? These are your priests. This was your idea. You just came up with this whole system, and these are the guys that are supposed to stand between you and man, and you kill two of them on the first day. Why does God do that? Why does God make an example of Nadab and Abihu? He is reminding us it is no light thing to approach the holiness of God. Let me tell you, please, man, if I could leave you with one thing this week, I hope that you will never look, look lightly upon the task of world missions. That when we realize that we have been sent into this world, that you have been put in New Philadelphia, Ohio, to be a priest, to stand between man and God, that you would never take that lightly. You know, a priest, man, you remember all the regulations, all these things they're supposed to do, all this ceremony, all of these rituals they're supposed to do. Why did God do that? Why did God make up all those rituals? Did God need all those rituals? No, God did all those rituals to tell them, listen, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It is the most dangerous place in the universe to stand before me and my holiness. And all of those regulations serve as a reminder of the danger. Let me ask you this. Is it a light thing to you? Is it a light thing that you are the priest of your family? That you represent God you represent God to your unsaved family members? That at your workplace, if you're a Christian and you're in a workplace, you are the priest in that place. Is it a light thing to you? See, if I was a priest, man, and I saw Nadab and Abihu get burned up, I'd be real careful for the rest of my life. I would keep every single one of those regulations. I would make sure I did everything just the way God wanted it to. I, he would have my attention. But a priest can never flippantly go about his business. He's always thinking, I'm a priest, I'm a priest, I'm a priest, I'm a priest, I'm a priest. And some of us go days without thinking about it. We go weeks without thinking of this responsibility that we have in the world. God has put you here as his priest. So number one, the need of a priest. We live in a world of darkness, a crooked and perverse nation, and we stand here as God's representatives, his mediators, his go-betweens. Number two, the work of a priest. Well, what is it that a priest does from day to day? Well, if you've read the Old Testament, then you probably know. The biggest thing a priest does all day is what? Kill animals. Make sacrifices. Now, what is Paul's sacrifice? So he said, Paul, okay, you're a priest. You're standing between God and man. So where's your animals? Or where's your sacrifice? What sacrifice are you bringing before God? Look at verse number 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Of your faith. So the centerpiece of the priesthood is a, is a ministry of sacrifice. And Paul says, I am bringing a sacrifice to God. And what is the sacrifice that I'm bringing? Your faith. 
Now, 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 now check this out. Sometimes we read the Bible, we talk about sacrifice. We know that ultimately only Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for our sin, okay? Because there's a certain kind of sacrifice, that, uh, the, a shedding of blood that removes the offense of sinfulness, right? And ultimately only Jesus is the sufficient sacrifice, that only Jesus can shed his blood and remove our sin, remove our sinfulness. But that's only one kind of sacrifice. And obviously, when he talks about their faith, he's not talking about that kind of a sacrifice, okay? So there's a more broad meaning of the word sacrifice that we got to understand, okay? Why did God, what, what did God often say about sacrifices? He would say it's a sweet-smelling aroma to me. He said, when you, when you, when you offer up that animal, the Bible says it was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Now let me give you a little hint. God does not have nostrils, okay? So it wasn't like God was like sniffing at like, you know, you in a Yankee candle, you know, store, you know, sniffing those, getting high on those. It was, it was not what was going, it's not what God's doing, okay? What, 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 the, what the authors of the Bible were trying to express is that, that smell, when you just smell something that just pleases you, and it get, man, it gives you a certain feeling of satisfaction. This sacrifice, that's what God, that's how God looked upon sacrifice. In other words, Paul says, I am offering to God that which his heart delights in. What is it that God's heart delights in? What is the sacrifice that Paul offers? Faith. God wants faith. What God desires from this world is faith. So Paul says, I came to Philippi. I started your church, I preached to you, you now have faith in God, and that faith is like a sacrifice that I'm bringing before him. Now, why does God want faith? Now, have you ever thought about this? Why did God create this world? Why did God create me? I, have, I really have a hard time figuring that out sometimes because I just seem to be just, I just imagine myself just to be a tremendous pain to him. So I'm trying to understand sometimes why it is that God would create us, people, now, I used to think that God created people because he was lonely. Like God was just sitting there for like a trillion bazillion years and he was like, this is dry. Let's create a world and just see what happens. Let's just make a whole bunch of people to talk to just so we have someone to talk. Is that what's going on? Absolutely not. The Bible says that God is a triune being, which means he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We say three people, that's not very many people to talk to. But can I tell you that between the three members of the triune God, there is more love, there is more joy, there is more peace, there is more communion than we can ever understand. There was no loneliness with God. If you can think to the time in your life, maybe you have a fond memory of a time where you just had a heightened sense of joyous human fellowship. Maybe it was uh, when you were meeting the person who was going to be your spouse and you were dating them uh, and you just really enjoyed their company and you just can remember some really sweet times with them. Or maybe it was a particularly wonderful Christmas or something you had with family, a meal, maybe a Thanksgiving meal, where it just felt, you just felt this harmony, this community, this peace, this overflowing joy. Can I tell you that the, the, the most heightened time of fellowship you've ever experienced in your life is a drop in the ocean of what God experiences in himself at any given moment. God is perfectly content without us. So why, you say, okay, well, I can get that, but so why would he make me? 
It was not because of a lack on his part, but because of an abundance in his part. You want to know why Steph and I adopted Galilee? It wasn't like I was, we were sitting at home one day and I was like, man, I'm sick of you. And she said, I'm sick of you too. Well, let's adopt somebody and let's bring a kid in this home and maybe that'll cheer us all up. It wasn't that. It was like, I, I, I love Steph and I felt that she loved me. And, and we said, man, our home is such a, a place of love and, and joy and excitement. Man, let's bring somebody else into this deal so they can kind of share in this great community. And God, from eternity past, lacked nothing. But he said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't I make about, I don't know, 7 billion people and invite them? Invite them into the party. Invite them into the joy of my table. Bring them into the joy of my house. Bring them into this wonderful experience. Now, here's how you do that. That means that your reason for existing is to sap from God that love and that joy and that peace and that communion. And not to go looking for it anywhere else, but to look for it in him. You know what we call that? Faith. Reliance on him. Every day waking up and saying, God, I want that love. I want that joy. I want that peace from you. I'm not going to go running around trying to get it from Steph, trying to get it from my friends, trying to get it from my church, trying to get it from my job. I want to get it from you. God says, I like that. That's why I made you. Can I tell you that any time that we as humans do something not in faith, not in faith, that we don't direct our energies to God, can I tell you that is a declaration of war against God. That is saying, God, I deny you, I deny the reason you made me, and I will invent my own purpose for existing, I will be my own God, I will make my own love, my own joy, my own peace, and I don't need you, and you can go have your own party, and I will do my own thing. That is a declaration of war against God. And can I tell you, that's why this world is a dark and crooked, and perverse place, because every one of us is lost in our own self-centeredness, that we have decided that we will be our own God, thank you very much, and I will make my own meaning in life, and I will find my own joy, and my own happiness, and I don't need God. And Paul says, I'm a priest. What's that mean? He goes out to these jokers, these Philippian jokers, and he gets them, and he says, believe. You see that God? Believe. Put your faith in him. And so he brings these Philippian people and he brings their faith before God and God says, I like that. You know what Paul does? Here's, here's what the work of a priest is. To bring to God that which his soul delights in. To bring to God that which he loves. When we find out, check this out, when we find out what it is that God loves, you know what we want to do? Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Now, my, my wife, Steph, um, she has a, a, uh, a problem. I'll just share with you all. I'm sure she'll appreciate it. She, it's a, really a talent, really. I mean, you can give her money, an, an unspecified amount of money, any amount of money, really, and you can put her in a place of retail, a place of business, and she will make all of that money disappear. Uh, she, she can do it. You know what's so funny about Steph, though, is, man, she never buys, she, I got to twist her arm to get her to buy anything for herself. 
she's always buying things for other people. You know what she does? She walks, she walks the aisles of something, and she sees something. She says, you know what? I saw this, and I thought of so-and-so, and I just had to buy it. And then I saw this, and I thought of so-and-so, and I, and I just had to buy it because I knew that they would love it. So when she loves somebody, one of the ways that she expresses that is when she sees something that that person would love, it delights her heart to bring to that person what their heart delights in. Can I tell you, that is the, the work of a priest. We come to God and we say, God, I got nothing. <laughs> Just to be honest, I mean, you need, we talked about money last night. Let me tell you, God needs your money like I need your hairbrush. God don't need, God don't need nothing from you. So you come to God and you say, God, listen, what do you get the God that has everything? What do you get the God that has everything? So you come before God and you're like, hey, God, you know, I want to bring you something. I love you. I have my faith in you, and so I want to bring you something that you love. What can I bring you? God, God do you like faith? And God says, I love faith. You say, well, God, do you like, uh, I mean, what kind of faith do you want? God says, I like all kinds of faith. And you say, well, do you like uh, Chinese faith? God says, I like some Chinese faith. I li-. If you didn't notice, I made a whole bunch of Chinese people because I wanted their faith because I wanted a lot of Chinese faith. So I say, all right, God, I'm going to go get you some Chinese faith. So what I'm doing there in China, I'm trying to round up some Chinese faith and drag it in the presence of God and say, God, what do you think about the faith I found you? God, do you like African faith? And God says, man, I sure do like some African faith. I'm going to go get some. You say, God, do you, like, uh, do you like the faith of people that live in those Muslim countries where everybody's Muslim? And God says, yeah, I do like that faith. Nobody brings me much but I sure do like it. I don't have a whole lot. You look at my shelves of faith. I don't have a whole lot of that. And you say, God, could I, could, do you think I could bring you some? God said, I'd love some of that. I'd love some of that. See, what we do as priests is we bring to God that which his soul delights in. Now, we got a problem here. In case you haven't noticed, faith is, they don't sell it at Walmart. So, this crooked and dark and perverse and broken and evil and wicked world, how do I make a dead, wicked, evil Chinese person put their faith in the God that they've rebelled against and rejected? How do I do that? The the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what can I do? If I go to China and I want to bring Chinese people's faith to God, how am I going to do that? By proclaiming the word of God. And that's exactly why he says up above there, look at verse 16, holding forth the word of life. Verse 15 says we shine as lights in the world. How do we shine as lights in the world? By holding forth the word. We use the word to bring the faith of the nations before God. How else could we do it? Let me tell you, see, sometimes we take that shine as lights thing and we use that as an excuse to never open our mouths about the gospel. And we say, I want them to see my example. I want them to see I'm a different kind of person. I want to show them my testimony. Let me tell you, those are all good things. Those are all good things. But let me tell you, you know what they need? They need the word. They need the word. They need the word. They need you to move your mouth, to vocalize air, and speak to them the life-giving message of the gospel. Let me tell you, if there's a man wandering out in the woods, freezing to death, in the dead of winter, 
and the, the numb is starting to wa- get into his limbs and he knows he's about to die. And if out in the distance he sees the light of a fire, is that light going to save him? Oh, he'll see the light. He'll know there's a fire there. But it's not the light of the fire that's going to save him. It's the heat of the fire. And let me tell you what we need to do in this world. We need to unloose, un- unloose, unleash the heat. We need to let go that heat the life-giving heat of the word of God, of the gospel, of the message that alone brings salvation. You know, if you want to go plant something, you can get yourself some fertilizer. You can get yourself some good soil. Get yourself some water, some sunlight. But it is nothing without the seed. It is nothing without the seed. By all means, give us your good works. By all means, shine the light of your testimony. But do not neglect to speak to the nations of this world the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Speak to them the gospel. Let me tell you, if you, if you tonight, if you're saying, man, I want to be a missionary. I don't know what kind of missionary I want to be. Let me tell you what kind of missionary we need you to be. We need you to be the kind that talks. What kind of missionary do we need you to be here in New Philadelphia? We need you to be the talking kind. The kind, you say, I don't talk good. That's okay. We just need you to be the talking kind. Just tell the message. Tell the story. Tell what it is that Jesus has done for us. That's the work of a priest. How do we bring that sacrifice? So I, want to bring, I want to bring him a sacrifice that he loves. How am I going to do it? I've got to speak the message. I've got to bring the seed. I've got to bring the heat. Number three, the heart of a priest. The heart of a priest. And we come back to this every night. You say, why? Well, I just, I, to be honest, I, I just, I don't care. I mean, let's just be honest tonight. Let's, let's just be real honest. There are some people that are going to walk out of here tonight, and it breaks my heart. There are some people who are going to walk out of here tonight, and you're going to say in your heart, I just don't care. I just don't care about the world. I don't care about Cambodian people getting faith. I don't care about Czech people coming to faith. If you want to understand how you get this heart of a priest, we've got to look back at verse 17. Paul says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Now, we already talked about one sacrifice in that verse. He says there's the, there's the sacrifice and service of your faith. But do you know there's actually a second sacrifice in verse number 17? There's two sacrifices going on there. See the first word Paul says, if I be offered upon the sacrifice of your faith. Okay? Now that word offered means offered like a sacrifice. So Paul says, you got one sacrifice, that's your faith, and then there's another sacrifice on top of that faith, and what is it? It's me. I'm the sacrifice. Now, most people agree that what Paul is referring to here was called a drink offering. Now, what they would do with a drink offering is they would offer up the animal that they were killing. They would put it up there on the thing, and then they would take a, a, some kind of liquid that the person offering the animal would also bring with it, and they would, what would they do with it? They, they would pour it out. They would pour it out. Now, again, man, Leviticus is a weird book. A lot of weird stuff going on there. But what exactly is the point of bringing God some liquid, some oil or something, and then just dumping it out. Like, what, what, what are we supposed to think about that? Like, what is the point in just dumping it out? Can I tell you, that's what you're supposed to think. 
you're supposed to think, what is the point? What a waste to just take it and dump it on the ground. And Paul says, that's me. That's me. I'm the thing just being dumped out on the ground, just being poured out. And when people look at my life, what do they say? What a waste. Talented guy, a bright guy, a smart guy, talented, had all kinds of opportunities, and he squandered them all on God. He wasted them all on bringing the faith of a bunch of Gentiles who hated him, bringing them to faith in Christ. Paul says, I am poured out. Now, let me tell you, Paul uses that phrase, and to tell you, to prove to you that's what he means, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul's getting ready to die, what does he say to Timothy? He says, I am now ready to be offered. Same word. I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. You know what what Paul says? I'm ready to die. I'm ready to give everything I got. I'm ready to be completely and totally given up be totally wasted. He says, I'm going to make a total expenditure. I'm going to give without measure. To give myself without measure. Now let me ask you, how many times do you think Paul in his life thought he had given all? How many times do you think Paul thought, I gave everything I had? I think Paul woke up every day and really thought he gave everything he, he got. And I think there were some times he really thought like he had really given it all. I mean, I think they were hitting him with rocks and things were getting kind of black. You know, the whole world was kind of fading away and Paul's like, that's it. I gave everything I got. I think Paul was shipwrecked. His ship was going down. He's out floating out in the ocean, and he's thinking, that's it. Gave him everything I had. Gave everything. I bet the day the dude walked in with a sword to chop his head off, he was like, we'll see. Maybe. Maybe. I've been here before. I've done this whole thing. And then he was in heaven. But Paul says, I am going to live my life as a drink offering. I'm going to be poured out. I am going to give without measure. Let me ask you tonight, are you giving? Are you giving with measure? Are are you holding back something tonight? Are you holding back your life? Are you holding back your children? Are you holding back something in your heart, some possession, something you feel you need to give up? Are Are you holding something back? Or tonight, will you say with Paul, I am ready to be poured? I am ready to be given without measure. And when you do it, you know what other people will say? What a waste. Can I tell you, I want to live my life in a way that other people look at it. The world looks at it and they say, what a waste. What a waste to go to China and spend your life planning churches. I I want them to say that about me. I want this dark and crooked and evil and wicked world to think that about me. Now, how does he get this? You say, how, how how do you get that heart? If you don't have that heart, then, then how do you get it? What do you do to get that heart? Well, I think we got to go back to verse 12 and see that wherefore. Go back up there to verse 12. Paul says, wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not, much, not as in my presence only, but now much more in your absence, in my absence. Now, where's that wherefore, therefore? So everything Paul is saying down here is based on what he says up above, and he talks about what? Well, we already read it. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to know when you'll be ready to pour? When you'll be ready to give with reckless abandon? When you get the mind of Christ. 
Because what did the mind of Christ do? Look what he says. He, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, verse 6, but verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know what Jesus did? You know what he did? He poured out for you. Hey, last night we said he pushed for you. Let me tell you tonight, he poured for you. He gave everything he had for you. Whatever he had, he gave it for you. Flip over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. I really, I want us to get this. I I couldn't think of a better place to end this conference in Hebrews, chapter 12. I want to show you a couple verses here about this, about how this works, and we'll be done. Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Get that? Let us lay aside every What's that mean? Let's stop holding stuff back. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run. Let us push. Let us press. Let us stretch. Let us reach. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we do it? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the what? The joy that was set before him. Remember that back there, that verse we just read over there in Philippians chapter 2? Paul said, uh, I am offered, if I, he says, if I am offered, if it turns out that I have to give everything to bring you to faith in Christ, he says, I'll just deal with it. I hate it. It's, it stinks. It's miserable, but I'll just deal with it. Is that what he says? No, no, no. He says, if I be poured out upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy, I joy and rejoice with you all. See, I catch myself, sometimes I pour a little bit, to be honest, I pour a little bit. There ain't sometimes a whole lot of joy going on there. See, we don't want you, let me tell you, we have a much, much higher goal than that you would just up that number of your missions giving. Oh, that, that's a small time goal. That'd be great. That'd be great. But that, that's just part of what we want to see happen. What, what we are praying to God that he will do in our hearts is to give us that joy. Not only, not only that we would pour ourselves out, but that we would do it out of a heart overflowing with this incredible joy. And where does that come from? Look what he says here. Verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, how did Jesus go to the cross? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame of being poured out and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now check out verse three. For consider him, consider him, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest what happen? Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. It's the last night of the conference. It's the last night. Some of you know what God wants you to do. Man, you don't need me to tell you. You, you already know what it is God wants you to do. You know. And you say, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Some young people, you say, I know what God wants me to do. He wants me to give my life and be a missionary. It's not going to be all of you, but there's some of you, you know that's what God wants you to do. There's some of you, you know what it is that God wants you to do in the, in the area of giving and sending. There's some of you, God, you know what God wants you to do in the area of going. There's some of you, you know what it is that God wants you to do, and you're saying tonight, I, I, I feel I better 
Well, let's be wise here. Let's, let's hold back. Young people, you're going to say, I got my whole life in front of me. I better, I, I better hold back a little bit. Some of you are going to say, you know what? It's, it's, it's been a rough year. I better, I better hold back a little bit. Let me tell you when you'll give yourself, when you'll give all that you have with reckless abandon. When will you pour? When will you pour without measure, with reckless abandon? When will that happen? Verse 3, consider him. Consider him. Consider him. Consider the one who became a sacrifice for you. Consider him who was poured out for you. Consider him that held nothing back. You know, you got your mind there right now tonight. I, I hope you just, just take everything in your mind and just, just, just clear the desk. Just clear your desktop for a second and fill it with the cross. Just fill it with what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did on a cross for you. Fill your mind and fill your heart. Feast on that for a second tonight. Just consider it. Just ponder it. Just meditate on it. Just consider it for a second. And if you do, you know what's going to happen? Man, we talked last night about that tight fist. You know what's going to happen? When you consider him, you're going to feel the grip of materialism, the grip of selfishness, the grip of self-centeredness is going to ease And the things of this world will grow strangely dim when you consider him. Let's pray.